Hello and welcome to The Book Album, your place for everything related to reading and language. I'm your host, Mackenzie Gentz. Now, bookmark that book and let's begin. Hello, hello, and welcome to the show. Hello and herzlich willkommen zu unserem Podcast and our horrifying classics 2022 episode 3 on none other than The Guest List by Lucy Foley. I need to do a Hinweis for this episode because I am getting a cold. I thought that the, the times of colds were all were over and old, I guess, but I was wrong. I am getting a cold. It is the classic start of the school year kind of cold. I'm sure that someone coughed on the bus or something and I don't know. Uh, now I'm getting a cold and I thought I better record a bunch of podcasts before it gets too bad because then you can already tell my voice is a lot lower than normal. So I won't be able to speak soon, probably. So just Kleiner Hinweis, if I'm drinking tea or taking a pause that's longer than anticipated, just know that I'm doing my best here and that I'm so grateful and happy to be discussing Guest List by Lucy Foley. (laughs) This is a really, really interesting book for several different reasons in this genre of psychological thriller. I would definitely name this a psychological thriller. It's definitely a classic thriller in the sense that there's a climax and that climax in this particular novel happens to be at the end of the storyline or the narration. Um, And it's so, it's so story-based and it's so, unique that that storyline is so unique that i wouldn't name this horror which is quite unlike the other books that we've reviewed so far in horrifying classics um and i would say also it's just it's distinct from the books that we will review in the coming weeks gesichter by toby ditlifson and um, 11, 22, 63 by Stephen King. Those both, in my opinion, have horror elements. Spoiler, I guess. Um, but this book, I would say there's not much horror because the thriller or the scary aspect of it is so tied to the storyline that it doesn't follow you after, right? So we, in week one, had this definition of horror versus thriller, where thriller is when it gets your heart rate up while you're reading the book, and horror is when there is kind of this increased heart rate or the fear element or the dread comes after the reading not only during the reading but also after there's kind of this um after effect if you will where (laughs) you do feel the horror um in your own life or at least for me in my own life (laughs) if i read certain things and you know i'm walking alone at night somewhere (laughs) then i have that horror kind of imagery coming back to me and and I think that's a mark of a good horror book um but yeah thriller versus horror different subgenres <laughs> let's go and I would posit that this book is super psychological right there so each chapter of the book there's a slightly different interpretation 
of the events. Um, and there's a classic kind of scene that I can point to in the book um, and that we'll discuss during the summary overview. So let's get into the summary. This book is about a wedding, so the title definitely gives a lot of information here. <laughs> the guest list, uh, to me, the guest list has uh, a, some undertones of exclusivity, maybe. Um, it's obviously a list of guests, so it's it's about, and it, uh, it kind of rotates around these different characters, these different people who are guests to the wedding. Um, and the author picks out certain guests of the wedding party and get, uses them as sort of narrative devices, if you will. So we have narrations from a slew of characters, the wedding planner, the groom, the bride, um, the best man, um, the bride's sort of best man. <laughs> um, his wife gives a narration, um, and she's called the plus one. Uh, the bride's sister, the only bridesmaid, also gives a narration. So there's kind of a lot of oscillating narrations, a lot of oscillating characters. They're all defined by their roles in the wedding and their relationships to the other characters in the wedding, especially the bride and the groom. Um, and we'll see at the end of the story that it kind of is all about the groom at the end of the day. Um, <laughs> so that is that is something that I really enjoyed is that with this unique kind of way of telling a story that revolves around so many characters. It was a very relational book. Um, and a lot of the characters didn't know each other previous to the wedding. Some did. There is a particular scene um, or several scenes where a lot of the men from a particular boarding school uh, in, I'm assuming Britain or Ireland, um, called Trevelyans, they kind of start enacting these kind of cult-like traditions or behaviors. Um, and I found that to be, you know, there's a lot of like kind of unsettling undertones to this book as well um, that have to do with the different relationships that each of the characters have to one another. Um, and also to themselves, for sure. There are definitely some, um, everyone has their own baggage, right? And I think that's uh, the characters in this book, no matter who it is, they're um, drawn in such a lifelike, lifelike way. And that's definitely, that was kind of a criticism that I had of the last book, Verity, that this book kind of makes up for. Because the characters are so lifelike and so three-dimensional in that sense. So the bride, Jules, is the owner and founder of a very sort of hip, maybe prestigious magazine. She's a young entre entrepreneur, she's really hip, she's got a lot, of, a lot going for her in that sense. And she does have this kind of like control freak OCD type of qualities, um, type A maybe type of qualities that 
make her a go-getter. You know, she's like the classic, like refined on the outside, but like angry on the inside <laughs> go-getter. Um, and she does have some anger man management issues. She likes to throw things and break things in her uh, private time. <laughs> um, but she has this, you know, blog or like magazine and she is essentially um, going to post her wedding on this magazine. So being invited to the wedding is a big deal. Being a part of the wedding is a big deal, whether organizing it or, you know, kind of on the fringes, like serving at it or whatever. Um, and she is marrying a man of high celebrity. He has many names in this book, uh, so I'm just gonna call him the groom. Um, but yeah, the groom is this TV persona. He's known for this TV drama called Survive the Night. It's kind of a reality show where um, he's dropped off blindfolded in a random location in the world and he has to survive through the night of that location. Uh, it reminds me of, that, of the show Naked and Afraid a little bit in, in its conception. So he's very famous for that. Um, and he's kind of a heartthrob, like he's very, he's also very driven, also kind of a go-getter, also kind of, I, I don't want to say, but I do want to say brutal inside or a little bit maybe has kind of this sinister backdrop to him, as does Jules, must I say, but hers um, in the end gets kind of resolved or remedied, whereas his kind of festers. The more we know about the groom, the more sinister he becomes. There are, uh, they are getting married, so again, it's a high-profile wedding. It's going to be posted on this famous blog. Um, they're having it on a remote island, and this island is off the coast of Dublin, I believe. This is a... I am terrible geography, I'll be the first to tell you that. Um, this is a UK-based book, so that's the geography there. Um, it, they definitely have... It, uh, there's, it's in Ireland somewhere. There's an island off the coast. Um, and the island was inhabited by people at one time, and they had all left for the mainland several dozens of years prior to that because um, there are, well, there's two kind of prevailing theories. One is that there were rumored to be ghosts and spirits. There was a whole um, sort of religious sect or just a sect in general that perished on the island in the bog on the island. So the island is pretty like dangerous. There is a lot of uh, hazardous weather conditions as we see later on in the book. It's, you know, surrounded by harsh waters. Um, a lot of the guests are like <laughs> seasick while they're coming into the island. Um, so yeah, the, it's kind of this desolate type of place. And the other theory is that they left the main the islanders left the mainland in order to find some more comfortable and updated uh, luxuries like plumbing and electricity. Um, so there is left a kind of there's a building that the wedding planner and her partner built. Um, and there's kind of these outcroppings and they've fitted them out for weddings. So they were having a lot of weddings there. 
um, and hoping to kind of draw more attraction and more hype and less stereotype and stigma to the island. Um, even though it's abandoned, it could in their eyes still be a place for enjoyment and luxury and beauty for, uh, for example, weddings. So, let's talk about some of the guests. The bride's sister, younger sister, younger half-sister, I should say, um, she is college age. I imagine her to be kind of stick, kind of long-legged, um, like super young, kind of doe-eyed. Um, unfortunately, she has a lot of mental health challenges stemming from a hard relationship um, that ended with her getting an abortion. Um, and everything was swept under the rug. She met this person online. They had used an alias. She had used an alias. Um, and she could not contact this person um, that she had been engaging in sexual activities with and had gotten pregnant with um, after she got pregnant uh, with him. Um, so she struggled, she dropped out of school, struggled with a lot of issues as a result. Um, and it's a really tragic and I think telling story about what happens when like minority vo voices are silenced, um, including the voice of this poor girl who has gone through a lot of trauma and not had many outlets uh, to put that trauma into or to resolve it. Um, and I think, you know, what's interesting about psychological thrillers as a side note that I've explored a little bit with the books that we read for this season is that there, a lot of them have something to do with the traumas that people experience and that go unresolved in some way. So this poor girl has this ex-boyfriend out there somewhere who she doesn't know his real name, well she does later because of the thing later, but <laughs> um, you know, and she's having to kind of bottle a lot of it up and she has, her mom obviously knew because she was the one who took her to the clinic to, and said, you know, this is what you should do, um, but Jules doesn't know, Jules is kind of trying to control um, Olivia is her name and put her in a box, but um, she doesn't know the full extent of what the poor girl has been through. Then there's the plus one. The plus one um, is my favorite character and a very interesting character at that. Um, she's married to the best friend of the bride. So they were kind of childhood friends and they had a more intimate relationship at one point that didn't work out and then um, yeah, he's a teacher now and kind of, they're both um, definitely not as high on the social ladder as, for example, Jules and her husband-to-be, but um, there's still, and I think that's like one of the core problems with um, this pair is that um, the husband kind of does his best to fit in and so does the wife, but they succeed to varying degrees and they compromise their own values and their own ideas of what is right um, because they are trying to fit in. So it's the classic like peer pressure situation. Um, and she, this wife is the one who um, kind of accesses Olivia in a way that no one else can. 
Um, the anim anonymity definitely helps, but I also think that, you know, so this character had a sister who also had a college boyfriend. The experience went wrong. Um, the boyfriend ended up posting uh, nude videos of the sister and she ended up committing suicide um, because of that. And so, you know, all this character remembers is her bright, beautiful sister and the man who destroyed her. Um, and so they have this kind of parallel connection of a relationship going wrong in the worst of ways. Um, ending in both cases in death um, and a lot of just um, trauma um, and so they connect with each other in a really I think intimate and really vociferous way and that they're able to air um, air thoughts and comments that maybe they wouldn't in other situations then there is a group of men, all the groomsmen, um, from this, this boarding school Trevelius, which um, the father of the groom was the headmaster there, or is the headmaster there. Um, so there's this kind of like cult-like atmosphere with them. They are very, again, like peer pressure oriented, um, adrenaline oriented, just kind of not, they're successful professionals, but they also do drugs and they also, excuse me, they also are, you know, kind of engaging in behaviors that lead to the detriment of everyone involved, even people who are kind of on the fringes, like Hannah the plus one. Um, so they're, they're kind of unaware in that sense of how much damage they're actually causing. Um, and they're kind of blind to um, how they impact other people's lives, including, for example, their wives and their children's lives. In any case, the groom has a best man, and uh, that best man um, is called Jono. <laughs> I'm struggling uh, to speak English instead of German right now. <laughs> and the best man is called Jono. Um, and Jono um, is, he's a smart guy. He's, he's smart, but he's kind of the butt of everyone's joke. Um, and everyone thinks that he's kind of dumb. Um, and he's had a lot of bad luck over the years. And he's kind of been like the hitman, so to speak, for the groom for a long time. Um, so yeah, there's, and there's a lot of almost trauma-like um, background with, with the best man as well. Um, and, you know, for example, the best man had, um, the idea to start the show Survive the Night that the groom stars in, and they did a screen test together. Um, but, but he finds out at the wedding that the groom emailed the agent on his behalf saying, or like told the agent on his behalf saying that he didn't want to do it. And so Jono like didn't know that his quote unquote best friend didn't want him to do the show and went a step further than that to basically kick him off the show. Um, and so he sees this producer of the show at the wedding and they're talking about it and the producer goes, oh, why didn't you want to do the show? And it's that classic, 
moment where both of them realize what actually happened and that there is some foul play involved. Um, so yeah, all these characters interact in different ways and I'm gonna just move right ahead and spoil the ending if that's all right. Um, there was a, an incident during the boarding school days at Trevelius where um, in particular, Will the groom and Jono the best man um, were kind of bullying this younger kid and there was a game at boarding school much like Survive the Night uh, which had a different name and they uh, took the kid and put him somewhere random and tied him there overnight um, and the game was survive, you know? Um, they ended up murdering this uh, kid. And what happened was they ended up tying him to a place where the water level rose as the day got older. So um, he was tied to the railing of this fence or this staircase where the water level started to rise and he drowned. And so there was really actually no way for this um, poor child to escape. His name was Darcy. And uh, Darcy there's a, is kind of the big black secret behind uh, Will the Groom's persona. And a lot of, a lot of like random misinformation and odd information is afoot for example jules the bride gets a note in the mail which we find out later is from olivia that says basically don't marry will he who he says he is so again these are the big spoilers that are coming up uh when it's all said and done all of the characters end up having connections to Will that all give them a purpose or a drive or an excuse, should I say, to murder him. So Hannah, the plus one, her sister, that boyfriend who posted those nudes of her and that those like videos, that was Will. Olivia, the boyfriend who impregnated her and ghosted her in that situation, was Will. Will was the one that framed Jono, or not framed him, but sort of told Jono, we can't tell anyone about the murder and you're not gonna come on my show. <laughs> like, but he, he hit it, of course. So Jono has beef with him too. Um, so all of these different characters kind of have now a motive to, mar to murder, not marry, <laughs> murder, um, the groom and the wedding planner, his name is Aoife, she uh, turns out to be the older sister of Darcy. So Will does get murdered after the wedding. They're all kind of partying, there's a big storm afoot and some, some things uh, go awry and they have to send out a search party because a waitress gets scared half to death because she thinks she's seen a corpse. Um, and it, there is this kind of like 
film noir kind of aspect to the book, definitely in these narrated sections of the present day, of the present time rather, where they're kind of getting the search party out and there's an omniscient narrator. Um, but in the end, Aoife does murder Will. couple things about the narration. Again, I love how the different characters are set within their roles that were predetermined by the guest list. So in that sense, it's a very themed kind of book. And I, I really like that, that it sticks to the theme, authentic to the theme, but it doesn't, there aren't too many constraints on the book. It still feels authentic to me. Um, I really like uh, the production on um, the audiobook version of this book. I thought it was really, really interesting. Um, they have a different person reading for each of the characters, so it does kind of feel like a like clue or murder mystery type of production. And I really enjoy the different um, accents in the book, the different um, perspectives that each of the voice actors brings to the production um yeah so i really i really enjoyed the production itself and i would highly recommend it let's talk about the storytelling i wanted to differentiate storytelling and narration in the sense that this is an old archetype of a story, but it's so it's recognizable in that sense. It is very much like a murder mystery or like Clue or if you know the board game slash film, <laughs> older film. I love that film. Um, so it's, it's, you know, it's recognizable. It's kind of like that murder on the train, whodunit kind of <laughs> subgenre. But this is very modernized, right? So, you know, this woman is a, a self-made successful woman who has her own blog. And so there's that like prestige factor. There is the social media factor, um, which is why the isolation of the island is so attractive to all of them. And there is that kind of like, modern drive to be different in this in this book um you know every one of the guests has sort of this pull to um fit in by being unique by being individualistic by being different um so it's very much this kind of like campfire spooky whodunit kind of story um i i have a couple you know in terms of the storytelling itself i have a couple literary parallels to make here which i love to do um turn of the screw that old, lovely old english book uh very similar to me the way that um the narrative unfolds uh, in the turn of the screw like the last page there's this huge uh twist so that's something that i find very similar here you know where in the last couple pages of this book everything's revealed will is killed you know and things kind of automatically get set in place um, and there is some however interpretation for example um uh, jono is framed for the murder but is that just ifa murdered you know will there were several people who had a motive 
Um, and there are several people indeed who are so kind of out of their senses with alcohol and everything, they're not sure whether they murdered um, Will instead. So there is this kind of like, fact. there is this series of factors that are up to interpretation at the end, just like Turn of the Screw. Um, it is like, it has that kind of sick and twisted element of a lot of Faulkner's work though. I especially think of A Rose for Emily, which is essentially like a short story about necrophilia. Um, but it's just like when you kind of realize what's going on in that short story and a lot of Faulkner's other work, as I said, there's this kind of like sick and twisted feeling that you get in the pit, in the pit of your stomach. And I definitely had that while I was <laughs> reading this book and kind of realizing, oh, Will is the person that messed up all of these people's lives in very traumatic ways. And I'll get back to touching on the psychological element of this book quickly to say that the scene where the interpretation of the characters is slightly different but it's the same scene is when the bride and groom cut the wedding cake and there's this description of this beautiful ivory knife that they use. It's a kind of this like antique kind of knife that they use to cut the cake and several of the characters eye this knife as a murder weapon. And so that's another element that's kind of up to interpretation where yes, Eva kills Will, but you know, Hannah, for instance, or Jono, they all kind of eye this knife as the perfect murder weapon, and indeed it ends up being the murder weapon. Um, so there's this kind of perspective shift that happens when all the characters suddenly hone in on this one object, but at different, on different time scales and time spans, but um, also for sort of different reasons, which are their own personal reasons. I thought the twist was really, really effective. And you think sort of in the beginning that everything's going to be centered around the bride, or maybe everything will be centered around these extra characters, but there's just kind of this like twist of the classic wedding scheme where all of a sudden it's, everything's about the groom who ends up being murdered in this gruesome way. So there are a lot of loose threads in the book that kind of come to a head at the climax and I think they're tied up together and formatted together in a really compelling way. And finally, let's talk about some social commentary. There definitely were social underpinnings, uh, almost sociological underpinnings in this book, in the sense that there definitely is a powerful social hierarchy underway that kind of, for some characters, uh, the power of the rich is exacerbated, and for others, they are very comfortable living their lives in this schemata of social hierarchy. I would also say the power of the media um, definitely is underscored here, so you know, the uh, Aoife, for example, gives a stark discount for the wedding so that basically readers of this blog will also try to copy Jules and have their wedding there. Um, and, you know, Jules in her position also kind of has this 
powerful position as someone in the media. Media plays an interesting role in the book, especially since the island doesn't have signal, so none of the guests can like boast that they were there. <laughs> um, so yeah, that kind of that power kind of being taken away from a lot of the guests is very interesting. And also I think the power of perception is a social underpinning in this book, or social commentary as it may be. Um, a lot of the characters, Hannah and Olivia and Jono in particular, were characters who in the beginning um, were presented as voiceless, you know, and how their perceptions added so, so much to the novel, and yet in the grand scheme of the narration, they were kind of these voiceless or quote-unquote silent characters, um, where so much of their inner dialogue was masked and not asked about. Um, and so, yeah, and, and clearly that was high, highly, highly problematic because these characters had a lot to offer, they had a lot of pains and traumas and things that they could have recovered from, for instance, or could have for example, Olivia could have immediately said, this person has caused me great harm and great pain, but without the trust, without the power of voice, um, Olivia was unable to do that and unable basically to stop this nightmare of her life from unfolding where her sister was suddenly going to marry this person who had done all these terrible things to her. So definitely social hierarchy, media, and perception were the biggest takeaways that I got out of this particular psychological thriller. All right, tune in next week or later this week for Gesichter by Tove Ditlifsen. This is a book I'm reading in German, but I will do the podcast in English. See you next week. If you enjoyed the episode and would like to hear more from us, we've done everything from Shakespeare to Dracula. There really is a show and a series for everyone, so I'd recommend checking out our website at relevanceofliterature.com under the ongoing series tab for links to our entire back catalog of episodes, as well as any current goings-on of our show. If you are looking for even more content, we also have a Patreon page at patreon.com slash relevanceofliterature. Thank you so much for your support, and we'll see you next time.